Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We are in a series called Questions of Faith. We are asking uh, or tackling some of the biggest questions that people have regarding Christianity. Uh, we've looked at the whole topic of hell, of suffering, or, or whether Jesus is the only way to God, and you can catch up with any of those talks online if you've missed them. This week, our question today is, does God care about my sex life? So we have rated this a 15, so I am looking around, I don't think there's anyone under 15, but that creates a little bit of intrigue just by saying that, that this is a 15 rating, and if you don't want kids to hear this, then, then please um, take them out. What is fascinating, I think, in society today is that you can have a fairly radical lifestyle without people batting an eyelid, without people being that bothered. So there's plenty of people that don't eat meat. Um, there's people that choose to go eco. There's people that choose not to use cars and just cycle everywhere. There's some that choose to step out a little bit of society and not work. And all those sort of big decisions involve uh, abstinence or going without something in order uh, to follow the ideals or the beliefs that guide them. But if you have a Christian who says we should abstain from sex until we are married, then you and I know that creates quite a stir. Like people don't like that. People get quite defensive. People get quite angry. Or people ridicule you if you have that view. So take for example, Bible's pretty clear. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. This is what it says. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, made holy, and that you should avoid sexual immorality. That the Greek word for sexual immorality is the word porneia. It appears 26 times in the New Testament. It always means the same. It's a catch-all term that covers all sexual activity that is outside the boundary of a married relationship between a man and a woman. So it includes women having sex with women, includes men having sex with men, includes unmarried men and women having sex, involves any sex that involves children, any sex involved animals, it involves all sorts of lust, and then everything else that you can think of. It's a catch-all term. And over and over again in the New Testament, God says, avoid sexual immorality. Run from it, abstain from it, don't let there even be a hint of pornea in your lives. It's sinful, good God, it's not God's will, and it's not God's best for you. And I tell you, that is one unpopular message in secular society. I mean, why, why, like, why does it grate so much with our friends? Why is it there's this unspoken law that says you cannot infringe on someone's right to have sex like, who does God think he is if it's between two consenting adults? What on earth is the problem? Why is sexual abstinence so off-limits in society? Well, I want to propose to you this morning, it's because sex is a god in our culture. If you can imagine, just look at the screen for a second, imagine this circle. I don't know if you've ever noticed on a packet of Durex, the catchphrase is love sex. It's just, I want you to see that that is really nicely a summary of the worship that sex gets in our culture. Do we have a slide with a circle on it? 
Okay, you have to use your imaginations. Do you remember when we did that? Okay, so in your mind's eye, I want you to picture a circle. And in that circle is your whole life. So everything about your life, your hopes and dreams, the stuff you do, this, you know, your family, your friends, everything is in that life. And in the center of that circle, there sits a throne. And on the throne sits the thing that you live for. The thing that controls the rest of your life. It might be that you sit on that throne. It might be that others or your parents or perhaps certain stuff that you have sits on that throne. What I'm proposing to you today is sex sits on the throne of a lot of our lives and in society on nearly everyone's lives. Sex is not understood as a religion, but it is a religion. It involves commitment. It involves worship. It's defended. It is evangelized about. That's why people will say... I'm gay, or I'm straight, or I'm bi, or we are swingers, just as you would say, I'm a Christian, or I'm a Muslim. It's an identity that encompasses all of life. Sex is a god in our culture that is worshipped and adored, and you, you guys know, as well as me, huge amounts of money are spent on sex. Huge amounts of time and energy are spent on sex. And it means anything that challenges that God, that asks that God to step off the throne, is rejected just outright. It's like a no-go area for Christians to talk about this. It also means that within the church family, sex and sexual purity is one of the biggest battlegrounds that Christians face. Because God cannot be worshipped when sex is on the throne of our lives. You can't have both of those things on the throne. And it's maybe the reason why many of us in this room struggle with this issue right now. It's why marriages fail. It's why there's a whole host of gender confusion. It's why sexual abuse is now common. It's why men and women get trapped in pornography. It's why all of us in this room have sinned against God sexually, including me. And so even though secular society on this issue says back off, what we're going to do today is try and confront it head on. So some of what I say today will grate. Some of it will make you feel uncomfortable. I tell you, some bits you will want to deny for yourself. You'll say, that's the person sat next to me. That's not me. But I want you to see that the Christian God of the Bible has a view of sex that is pretty profound because it comes out of a place of care and love for you. And so I just want you to give me a bit of time to talk about how God views sex. The question is, does God care about my sex life? The answer is yes. Here's two really important reasons why he does. Number one, we are made in God's image. Why don't you just turn to the person around you and just say to them, we are made in God's image. Very good. The Bible says that we are more than just animals. So if you've got a Bible, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it's going to come on the screens. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Mankind is made in the image of God. Dogs, hamsters, 
parrots, chimps are not made in the image of God. So this wonderful three-in-one God, God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect community, serving one another, loving each other, decide to make men and women in their image. Now, here's a photo of uh, some of my family. Oh, that's nice, I like that. But my two sons, people say that my two sons look a little bit like Pip and look a little bit like me. I cannot see it at all. (laughs) But they are made in our image. They've received something of us. And it's exactly the same for mankind. We are made in God's image. I'm going to make you look at that picture for just a little bit longer, I'm afraid. So the question is, if we are made in God's image, why? Like, what's the purpose? Why has God done it like that? Well, God's done it like that because he wants us to represent him to the world, to rule with him, to reflect his faithfulness and his love and his sacrifice and servanthood to the world. And in the ancient world, it was really understood that that's what happens, that an emperor would conquer land and then set up a statue or an image of himself. And so as you cross the border into that territory, you would see the statue and realize, oh, this is their kingdom. The statue represents the person. It's made in his image. And so God is saying the same. He wants people to see his image in us and see what he is like as people look at us. And so the purpose of sex, don't miss this link, the purpose of sex is connected to that purpose in life. They go together. So in the Trinity, there is faithfulness and unity and love and surrender. Therefore, in human relationships, and especially in marriage, there are those things too, because we're reflecting God. We're made in his image. In marriage, sorry, in the Trinity, three are one in perfect unity. But in marriage, two are one in perfect unity. That's why Genesis 2, 24 says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. It means there's unity and intimacy and purpose and love in marriage. And sex is an essential part of that. And that is why any casual sex, any sex that is outside of marriage... Lust or masturbation are all distortions of the original purpose. We're to reflect God's image to the world. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he talks about marriage, he says it's a reflection of Christ's relationship in Ephesians 5 with the church. It's all about us imaging God. And the purpose is to glorify him by representing him to the world. In marriage and sex, it's the same. And misusing sex and worshipping sex, having sex on the throne, makes this beautiful thing into a God thing that will always let you down. So number one, we are made in God's image. Secondly, and this may surprise you, but God cares about your sex life because he wants you to flourish. When you turn to the person next to you and say, he wants you to flourish. You can point your finger at them as well if you want. (laughs) He wants you to flourish. Now this sounds very counterintuitive because we have just spoken about God in the terms of, uh, I guess, him setting some boundaries and some rules and him stifling freedom. 
And in our culture, freedom equates to flourishing. If you have freedom to choose, then you are truly the person that you're meant to be. But what's interesting, in the ancient world, flourishing is not primarily about having freedom to choose. But it's much more about becoming the person you were meant to be or achieving the higher purpose that you were created for. So the Bible writers would say there are things in your life, there are things trapping you that stop you from filling that potential. There are things hindering you moving into what God has created you for. And probably this is a most helpful way that I can imagine or illustrate the point. Next slide, please. Here's the nude for today as we're talking about sex. This is Michael Angelo's David. And it's a helpful way of imagining the biblical concept of flourishing. The sculpture is freed from the block of marble that it originally sat. The block, it just sat there, but the higher purpose has been reached through hard work. David is more free than the block of marble. And so, yes, God does place restrictions. He does take things away. He does deal with sin in our life. But ultimately, that is the very thing that sets us free and makes us the person that God created us to be. Are you more free to be a train running on tracks or to be a train running loose in a field? The train in the field sounds free, sounds able to do whatever it wants to do, but is dangerous. It needs tracks to run on, and sex is exactly the same. And the, the point is, God, I mean, he invented sex. He made sex to be pleasurable. You know, sex is a really good thing. The first command ever given to mankind was to go and have sex. I mean, God's very positive about sex. And as the maker of sex, he knows how best it should be used. So Proverbs 5 is a great memory, memory verse if you're a man here in the room. So forgive me, ladies, just for a moment. Proverbs 5, it's in the Bible. May the, your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer, and may her breast satisfy you always, and may you ever be captivated by her love. Yes, the Bible uses the words breasts. Can you believe it? You'd read your Bibles more, wouldn't you, guys, if you knew that it talked about stuff like this. This is a great verse to quote to your wife. It's talking about delighting in her breasts. They are meant to satisfy you. They're meant to. They're supposed to be the things you can't take your eye off. And it should be music to every bloke's ears that is listening today. God wants you to flourish in your sex life. But it's through relationship with him first, and it's by placing this beautiful, intimate thing called sex into the protected, boundaried relationship called marriage. And without those tracks, the purpose of sex gets lost and wasted and distorted and ruined and abused. So God cares very much about your sex life. Very much. So the question we have to ask is how there, how, how on earth do we make the most of this gift? How do we do it? And especially when we're aware in our own lives that sex does get to sit on the throne. Maybe not permanently, but there are moments, maybe seasons, where it is sat there. And many of you have perhaps listened to talks that have given the sort of the do's and don'ts of sex and purity. 
and found that many of them don't work because the problem goes so deep. Like, how are we meant to deal with this? You see, God's original plan was there to be one woman, one man, one covenant, one promise together, one lifetime together, enjoying marital relations as one flesh. And the Bible says at the end of Genesis 2, they were naked and they were without shame. It was perfect. But Genesis 3, mankind sins. And they choose to have themselves on the throne. And somehow sex sneaks up there. Because from Genesis 3 onwards, you find the devastation that sin causes. There's incense, there's the pra- incest, there's the practice of homosexuality, there's adultery, there's polygamy, there's all kinds of lusts in its various forms. And it continues through human history. And this abuse of the perfect gift is totally ravaged by sin's impact in our hearts. And it leads to death, it leads to death spiritually. And so I ask the question again, how on earth do we deal with this? How on earth do we restore sex to what it should be when sin is so devastating in its effect and the God of sex loves to be on the throne? How do we do it? Well, let me give you, I think I've got five things. Let's see how we do. Number one, I think you the first place to start is for you to take an honest look at the consequences of sexual sin. See, the Bible says when we have sex, we are not joined just physically, but we're also joined mentally and spiritually. Remember, Genesis describes having sex as two becoming one flesh. So a husband and wife are not just uniting physically, but they're uniting on all fronts, every dimension. It's an incredibly intimate act. But that is a, a totally countercultural way of understanding the gift. In our culture, you sleep with someone first and then you get to know them. Whereas the, the Christian view of sex is that, that sex comes at the end of a long journey of getting to know someone, falling in love, and then getting married. And when you abuse the gift that is so intimate, you will ruin the gift. And, and let me illustrate it like this some gaffer tape here and however it's very sticky gaffer tape however hard you tell this bit of gaffer tape to not stick it will stick sorry about that it will stick so you can say do not stick but it will stick every time you say do not stick Keep sticking. Do not stick. The problem is, if you keep going with this, there will be a time where you need it to stick. Where you need that sense of intimacy. And so you will try all you can to make it stick. But in that moment, it's lost it. It's lost its stickiness. And that is a great picture of what our sexuality is like. The first time you use it, you're going to stick to whoever it touches. Sex just cannot help but stick. Because that's what it's for. And so when you rip yourself loose from someone, damage is always done. 
something in both of the people's hearts will tear. And you do it too often, eventually it doesn't stick anymore. And what happens is your capacity for intimacy is greatly reduced. It means suddenly your partners, your sexual partners may feel like strangers. You won't feel anything. You've destroyed your capacity for intimacy and that hurts and that damages. And my guess is some of you know that personally, but many of you know that's the reality. That's the consequence for many of our friends that are living that sort of lifestyle. But there is hope. Because secondly, we, I guess the starting place is to find forgiveness in Christ. You see, God hates sin and God hates sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 6, I mean, it's pretty blunt. It says this, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, that's that word pornea, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. God says that an unrepentant, ongoing, habitual lifestyle of sexual sin is such a serious matter that you face God's judgment in this life, but particularly in the life to come, and hell awaits you apart from repenting to Jesus. But if you do repent, there is always forgiveness. There is always honour instead of shame. What's fascinating, the next verse on in 1 Corinthians 6 says this, and this is what some of you were. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's why the cross is so central to us as Christians, because it's at the cross that Jesus takes all of our sexual sin, our shame, and our lust, our addiction, and he takes it to the cross, and he receives the punishment that we are due for it. And as we believe in him, as we repent from a life where he is not on the throne, then our whole lives are washed and are cleansed and forgiven and put right. And for many of you, that is your story. You've known that in your lives. But today, some of you need to come before Jesus. Some of you need to give your lives to him, and some of you perhaps need to come afresh to receive forgiveness and experiencing God, experience God restoring you and your sex life. Because I've met so many guilty Christians, particularly in the area of lust and masturbation, and you just need to come again today and receive forgiveness. You know, one author tells the story of going to a Christian meeting while he was at university and he sort of brought a friend who was a single mum along to the meeting. It was sort of this size. And this guy was spouting on about sort of the dangers of having sex with too many people. And he described sex like a rose. And uh, he, he's got someone having sex like a rose. And he said that it should be this pure, perfect thing. It was a beautiful rose, smelt. Absolutely delicious. And he, he gave the rose, the, the rose to the person on the front row. And then he said, why don't you all just hold the rose, look at it, smell it. And it worked its way around the room. And so by the end of his talk, he said, who's got the rose? Who's got the rose? Someone at the back had the rose. And he said, can you bring it forward? And they brought the rose forward. And by now, it's pretty bedraggled. It's a little bit bent. It's lost quite a few of its petals. And his concluding bit of his talk was to hold the rose up high, all bent and bedraggled, and say, who on earth would want this rose? After being through so many people's hands, who on earth would want the rose? And the guy listening in 
with all his might, he wanted to shout out, Jesus wants that voice. Jesus wants it. You know, there is forgiveness available today. Sexual sin is not a deal breaker. It's not the thing that will forever keep you from God if you repent today and receive the grace that is available. Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, sexual sinners, Christ died for us. And you need to worship him today. You need to let him love you. You need to receive the forgiveness that is available. You need your vision filled by a holy, loving God. And you know what? The people that seem to have most breakthrough, most breakthrough in this area, are people well acquainted with grace that have a huge vision of a holy God. All the, all the people I've ever met that have got breakthrough on this, that has been one of the keys for them. They've received grace very quickly, and they've had a vision of a holy God, a holy loving God. And some of you, just that's the starting place. Thirdly, believe you have the power to change. The theological word for this is regeneration. Regeneration is when God takes out our old hearts, our old self, apart from Christ, and when we come to him, he gives us a new heart, a new self in Christ. So Ephesians 4 verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is, this is so important. A huge part of us living in purity and making the gift of sex all that it should be is by living in the power of this new regenerated self. You're still you, but you have new desires for godliness and purity, a new longing for him that you never had before. Um, Jonathan Edwards, great theologian, said, to overcome sin, we must take a desire and replace it with a stronger desire. So the issue is not to kill the passion in and of itself, but to be passionate about the right things, to be passionate about the things of God. So how do you take a toy from a child? You give them a better toy. That's, so you're not killing the desire, you're giving them desire for the right things. And to take sex off that throne, you need to have a better lover. You need to have someone who satisfies more. You need someone where you can find intimacy. You need someone who's a better comforter, that brings better pleasure. And that changes you from within. It's not about you just getting the externals of life right and the disciplines right and the boundaries right. It's about change in the heart. And when you come to Christ, you are changed in the heart with new passions and new desires. You need to just desire the right things. Live in the power of a regenerated heart. Fourthly, treasure your spouse. So I'm talking primarily to those of you that... Are, how many of you are married today? Just self would see. Yeah. When you look back at Proverbs 5, there is a point to treasuring your wife's breasts or your husband's guns or whatever it is that you like. It says this in verse 19. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always, may you be ever captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Why should you be captivated by your wife's breasts? It's because you, it stops you becoming captivated by anyone else's breasts. So I want to ask you married people, 
How are you doing at treasuring your spouse? How are you doing at treasuring your spouse? I asked Pip yesterday, I said to her, how do you treasure me as your spouse? And she said something that really surprised me. She said, I choose not to think about the things that really annoy me. I'm like, what things? <laughs> and that's a mark of her godliness that I didn't know what those things were. I said, said, go on, go on, go on. Like, what things? And she said to me, what really bugs me is when we get in the car and we're going for a long journey and you just put the, the radio on and you listen to football or something like that. She said, that really bugs me. I just want to chat. just want silence. Oh, I didn't know that. And what she done? She's, what she does is she treasures the good things. Hopefully, a few good things about me that is, draws her, but she chooses not to focus on those things. Treasure your spouse. I want to ask you, is you, are your eyes only for your spouse? Is your spouse the measurement of beauty in your lives? Like, are they the pinnacle of beauty for you? Does everything else sort of fall from there? Or do others take that place? In all the different seasons of life, do you treasure your spouse? Like, seriously, is someone else taking your fancy at the moment? Is there someone that you're going to in church or at work that is fulfilling some of the needs that your spouse should be meeting? An affair will come very close to destroying you and your family and your marriage. Please do not think that it will never happen to you because you're a good Christian man or woman. Even the neatest gardens get overgrown very, very quickly. Do not think that you are somehow bulletproof in your marriage. It takes years of investing and treasuring your spouse. And all those that are among us that have been married more than 20 years, they will tell you that. They say it is hard work investing in your spouse. It goes beyond emotions. And lastly, flee from sin. 1 Corinthians 6, flee from porneia, sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his body. So it's saying all sins are equal, but sexual sin has big implications, like the intimacies, uh, stickiness thing that I was talking about. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Jesus died to purchase you. You are his possession. He's forgiven your sin. He's made you a child of God. Your body is just not your own anymore. If you're a Christian here this morning, your body is not your own. It belongs to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is indwelling in you if you're a Christian, so you can live for Jesus. And my feeling as I prepared for this sermon was that for some of you, you are just not being radical enough in your fleeing from sin and you're living in the good of these verses. Some of you, the word that you need to take home today is flee, is flee from sexual immorality. So it might be that... um, it's in some wrong relationships that you are in right now. Uh, I can remember when someone, I was listening to a message like this, and for me the penny dropped and I realized I've got this relationship with a girl who I'm not going out with that is very close, like a sister, that I am just 
like I'm bleeding her dry uh, for all the intimacy needs that I have without any sense of commitment and love. And so literally that night on the phone, however embarrassing and awful and horrible it was, as nicely as I could, I said, we're done. This cannot go on like it is. And for some of you, it's that sort of radical approach to perhaps some people in your life that you're pursuing intimacy with that is just wholly inappropriate right now. Flee from sexual immorality. For others, it might be just more to do with what you look at. It might be to do with the fantasies that you have, your fantasy world that you indulge yourself in. For some, it's films. For some, it's flirting. It's the way you flirt with others and the way that you dress. Perhaps it's someone that is um, a shoulder to cry on. Someone that's meeting needs that is just inappropriate. Please, flee. Flee. Do not think, I'm strong enough. Do not think, I'm mature enough. Do not think, oh, it's okay, it's only pictures, or I'm not hurting anyone, or whatever excuse you come up with. And I tell you, for most Christians, you will change your theology to justify your actions. And it's so sad when that happens. You will be nodding with everything that I've said so far, but you'll get in that situation, you'll say, oh no, the Bible doesn't really say that. Flee from sexual immorality. The Bible cannot be clearer on that. A great question to ask yourselves, if you're in a relationship, a situation where you're not sure, the question is, is this making me more like Christ? Very simple question. Is this making me more like Christ? Am I reflecting God in this moment? Am I pursuing joy in the way that he wants me to? They are great questions to ask yourself and the people you're accountable with. So listen, some of you, um, perhaps you just need to grow in your accountability with others. Perhaps, uh, you know, with the two or three people that know what's going on in your life, perhaps they don't actually know. Perhaps for some of you, you need some counselling. You are in, like, up to your neck in this stuff. And actually, the problem does go very deep. You, please come. Come to us. And there's counselling services that we can help you access. And it might be if you're a couple here, then you, you, you might just need an older couple or a couple that's in the same stage of life as you to talk to. And again, let us know. But the idea is that um, we are to model a purity in our community that reflects to the world what sex could be and what sex is when, I guess, we follow the guidelines God gives us. So let me pray for us as we finish. Why don't you just bow your heads for a moment. Um, we are going to have a chance to worship, a chance to pray together if you need that. Um, and I'm really expectant for God to speak to us. But um, let me give you a moment just to respond to what you sense God saying and then I'll, I'll, I'll pray. And just think about, Holy Spirit, what, what is it that you're wanting to say to me today? Lord, thank you so much for the gift of sex. Thank you for creating us in your image. Thank you that you want us to flourish. And we want to repent from where sex has been on the throne of our lives. And uh, we don't want to gently remove it. We want to rip it down from that position and have Jesus on the throne of our lives. Help us, Lord, in these moments just to be honest.
Help us, Father, to admit our weaknesses. And help us as we repent, as we confess our sins. Thank you that you are faithful and just and you forgive our sin and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we repent, let your grace and your mercy flood our hearts. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Help us to live in the power of a regenerated heart with new desires. Help us, Lord, to invest in our spouses. Help us, Lord, to flee from sin. And I just pray if there's a few people here today that they know that that is the response from today. I pray for courage. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill them with power for godly living. So we receive all that you have for us today. Even, and as we sing, we're expecting the presence of God amongst us. We're expecting you to come and empower us for godly living, to restore us and to heal us. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Mm-hmm.